0: Diverse voices, unique sound,
1: not the same old thing, different, different.
0: This is NOCO FM.
1: Driving into infinity. This is a true story of how in 1983, a reoccurring dream Paula Lenz had proved to be a precognitive warning. The sudden, shocking loss of her brother Don that year would come close to completely destroying Paula. But today, I have Paula here with me in the studio. Paula Lenz is a woman who holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Sam Houston State University. Her career of more than 40 years includes high school English teacher, partner in a woman-owned business, national manager for a worldwide engineering firm, and executive director for a major Houston association. Paula was a featured speaker at the 2018 International Association for Near Death Studies Conference, along with NDE researcher Dr. Janice Holden at University of North Texas. She's also been featured on an IANDS radio interview with Lee Whitting. So I am really thrilled and looking forward to this interview. Welcome to The Spark, Paula.
0: Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm delighted to be here today.
1: So this is such an interesting story. Let's talk a little bit about your wonderful book, Driving Into Infinity, Living With My Brother's Spirit. Give us the background.
0: What what is this story about? Well, first, let me um, say that it's been 36 years since this experience I had took place in 1983 and I'm the oldest child in the family. My brother was four years younger than me and I have a sister who's 10 years younger. At the urging of my closest friends, really for all these years, they wanted me to write a, a book about my experience but uh the book has just come out in 2017 and the reason i waited so long is i felt like people might not really believe me or uh you know just just not believe it and but once i retired i decided you know what i don't really care what people think any more about that. This is the truth. And this is what happened to me. And this has been an ongoing story really since I had my experience. Uh, But surprisingly enough, I had really excellent reception by all the business people who know me and and all of my friends. So it's it's been an exciting journey to have the book out.
1: Well, I'm so glad that you wrote it. I think being in the mental health field the last 30 years, I have heard so many of these stories from my clients and and too many to believe that these near-death experiences and being in touch with the other realm, if you will, is not just possible, but that it happens. And so I'm just really looking forward to you sharing this story.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. And. Really, my story begins in 1982, and this is when, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, that I I began having this dream, which became a recurring dream for the next year. And in this dream, uh, it was always the same. I was outside on some hills, and people were gathering there. And as time went on, more and more people... Uh, were outside in this large hilly field area and someone eventually came up to me and asked me what's going on here and I said I'm not sure but I think it's the end of the world and when I said that then in the sky there appeared Jesus and as everyone was looking up at Jesus For me, it became a moment of pure pain and agony. I just doubled over almost to the ground. And, um, you know, I just was experiencing the most agonizing pain. It wasn't physical pain, though. It was mental anguish. And then when that happened, when I'd reached that point, the dream would suddenly end, and I would always be startled awake uh, by this dream. So fast forward to Friday, October the 7th, 1983. Uh, That morning, I was driving my husband to a meeting. I was going to drop him off, and then I was going on to the Greek festival that's always held in Houston each year, and... I happened to glance at the the clock in the car. It said 9 a.m. And at that moment, I experienced this terrible pain over my heart area as I'm driving. And I thought to myself, what's going on? Am I having a heart attack? Do I have a blood clot? Uh, I was really alarmed by it, but I didn't say anything to my husband and you know, I dropped him off. And after about 15 minutes, this pain subsided. And so I just thought, well, I don't know what that was about, but, you know, I'm going on. I went on down to the Greek festival. And then around noon, my friends and I, there were more and more people gathering at the Greek festival and uh, they served lunch inside one of the annex areas of the Greek Orthodox Church there. But a lot of the activities are outside. So we were in there and there were huge crowds inside by this time. And I look across the crowd and I see my husband uh, coming toward me and I thought, well, he's here earlier than I expected, but, you know, that was fine. But as he got closer to me, I could see the look on his face was unlike anything I'd ever seen before before. And I knew that something was terribly wrong. And as he came up to me, he put both his hands on my arms and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, Donnie was killed in an accident this morning. And I just, for a moment in my mind's eye, I just stood there and what I saw in my mind's eye was just as though I were seeing the earth from out in space and the earth just falling, falling, falling and just crashing at my feet. And at that moment, I just bent over almost to the ground, just crying and screaming, no, no, no. Of course, all my friends saw this happening and came running over. But it was at that point I understood that this is what the dream had been showing me. It was showing me the circumstances under which I was going to hear about my brother's death and my reaction, you know, and the dream itself did not intimate that, any of that information. But, you know, over the weekend, of course, then, you know, went home and to Brian, which was north of Houston and uh, for the funeral family and everything. And I stayed on. The week after my brother's funeral, which was that Sunday, and I was helping my parents do different things, write thank you cards and that sort of thing. But on Wednesday, uh, three days after Donnie's funeral, I decided to take some of the funeral flowers out to my grandparents' house, and they were about 10 or 15 minutes away And my husband had just left me there and he he was going to come back the following weekend. So the only vehicle I had available to me was actually my brother's personal truck because he was killed in a company truck. And so I took that, loaded up the flowers and headed off toward my grandparents. And I'm driving along and suddenly... I developed 360 degree vision. I could see everything around me as I was driving. And I just thought to myself, what's happening to me? But even before uh, I, I could think much about that, I realized that I could see at my right shoulder, there was my brother, but he was like a pattern of lights, but it still had his, you know, facial characteristics and everything. And he began to speak to me telepathically. And he said, I don't want you to be sad. Uh, he said, I'm happy now. And he said, I want to show you a little bit of what it's like for me now. And at that moment, then I left my body and I went with him into infinity, which is why I named the book, uh, driving into infinity. But my brother stayed with me the whole time through this experience that I had out of body. And the first thing I realized, of course, being in this state of consciousness, not in my body anymore, um, I initially kind of saw a landscape, but it looked kind of like a negative of a photo. I'm not quite sure what that was, but after that, it more became as though I were out in the universe. And the first thing I experienced was this wave of peace that came over me completely. And The first thing I thought, it reminded me of the Bible verse about the peace that passeth understanding. And it just, it was just overwhelming, this peace. And then I had a second wave come over me. And this was a wave of all knowledge. I knew everything that had ever happened in the history of the universe. I don't know any other way to say it. It's hard to describe, but I knew everything. And then a third wave came over me, and this was spirit. This was the total energy of love that is love far beyond what we experience here in this life and i knew that this was a being this energy of love that totally loved everything and loved us and um at that point all of these things seemed to merge in me And it wasn't just that I knew these things. Um, I actually became one with everything. I was one with this love, one with the knowledge, one with the peace. I became all of that. And so I experienced the oneness of everything, which is what we are. Uh, beyond our physical uh, consciousness of who we are here, that we are all one with this being of love, regardless of what goes on by a person here in this lifetime. And at that point, and my brother was still with me through this whole thing, I started thinking I knew I was out of my body. And and I thought, I don't want to go back to my body. I want to go on. I want to stay here. And when I began thinking that way, I suddenly was wishing away. (laughs) And my brother was still with me the whole time. It was just right there. And as I started wishing away, because I knew there was, There was another level I needed to get to. This was just kind of the beginning area. But my brother began exerting his energy, I'll put it that way, pushing me back down, my energy back down. And he said, no, you can't go yet. It's not your time. And with that, I began very rapidly coming back down toward my body and I could see myself coming back into my body and I I felt like I landed back in my body kind of with a thud and I realized when I was back in my body that I had actually somehow made a turn onto the road that actually led to my grandparents' house and you know to this day I don't recall driving at all and Uh, making this turn or anything about that and some people have asked me well who do you think was driving the truck and I said well I don't know It, it and it was suggested to me that perhaps my brother's energy took over that while this experience was happening but at any rate the first thought I had when I was back in my body was Wow, I feel so confined <laughs> inside this body. <laughs> it was almost like a new experience. Like, whoa, here I am inside this body, and you know, I'm I'm confined by that. I felt very at peace, and in fact, I really felt very warm. Uh, like my face just felt very warm, and. Of course, I didn't know exactly what had happened to me, but I was in this state of almost like bliss and very peaceful. And, of course, reconnecting with my brother, I was really happy about that. And I went on to my grandparents' house, and I didn't say anything to them about what I had just experienced. Gave them the flowers, and we talked. But it was kind of interesting to me how... I could view my grandparents almost from my brother's point of view at that point in that I could see all this terrible grief in them and how they were suffering so much from that grief and talking about you know the loss of Donnie and I again I was just still experiencing the peace of what I'd gone through and I tried to explain to them I just said well I know he's okay and he's still alive, and I know that he's at peace. Um, but it was almost as though I never really said any of that because it's difficult to get through all of that grief. It, it just, you know, is a blocking kind of energy. And then I understood what my brother was seeing in all of us. But after that, I. Other than a couple of my closest friends, I never really shared my story. I didn't talk about it. Again, other than just some of my closest friends. And thereafter, for the rest of my life, I've had all these different things happen in terms of outreach from my brother. And I saw him one time at my house at Sugarland in the living room how he looked when he stayed with my husband and I one summer he was working there in Houston and i just when i had walked out of our bedroom out of the corner of my eye i saw him just for an instant he was actually over at the stereo cabinet <laughs> looking in there and um but it was just an instant but You know, even today, I see him very clearly in that moment. But it's the only time since my experience that I've actually seen him like that. For the most part, my brother has continued, as I said, outreach through various means. And really, early on, it wasn't just me. My dad and his wife would talk about how in the beginning... At night, they would hear the buttons on the microwave oven going off because my brother used to go over there and uh, kind of help himself to food and, uh, you know, hang out. I mean, this was while he was still going to college and they would swear that it was him. And my mother actually had a dream a couple of months after my brother passed and this dream she had he came back to her as a a young deer and in the dream but she she knew that it was my brother and he came walking up to her and she said son you need to come back to me right now and he looked at her and said mama I can't come back I'm really happy here and she said again, son, you must come back to me. And he said, mama, I can't. And he turned and began walking away, walking out of the dream. But she told us that as he left the dream, he took with him the deepest, worst part of her grief that she was experiencing. Because she said, I just didn't know at that point if I was going to be able to go on living. And she said, when he took that part out of my heart with him, she said, then I was okay. She said, I knew I, I needed to go on living. But she said, to the, up until that point, she just didn't know if she was going to make it.
1: What does it mean to live a spark-filled life? It means waking up to a morning full of possibility and potential that you intentionally plug into. It means moving past your past and leaning in fully to the present moment to create the kind of future you want, full of joy, abundance, and magical moments. When you live a spark-filled life, you let go of old limiting beliefs and adopt new ones that ignite your spirit and heal your heart. It's focusing on what you want to create in your life and then taking action to make it happen. There's an amazing life available to you. You hold the flame within you to ignite your best life. Hi friends. That's an excerpt from my new book, The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life, available now on Amazon Books and at thesparkbook.net chock full of wisdom from 30 years of experience in the mental health field, wisdom from my guests on the show, such as Bruce Lipton, Larry Dossey, and Jacob Israel Lieberman, to name a few, as well as stories just to help you learn how to befriend yourself, develop resiliency and grit, to cultivate joy, and to grow through grief, as well as learning how do you learn how to contribute, how do you learn how to ignite your own best life, and to live a life full of love and joy. So come check it out. The Spark Igniting Your Best Life on Amazon Books and thesparkbook.net.
0: So, you know, there were, again, he he did have other outreach to members of our family. Tell me about, too, I mean, this this
1: whole story, I'm just over here getting the chills over and over again. I mean, it's just such an amazing and beautiful story. And I was having a hard time not (laughs) getting teary (laughs) several times. When this was all happening, at first, you know, you said you only shared it with close people to you. And I think that's really a common occurrence. People are afraid to share these experiences.
0: Yes, that's, that's what I find. And I know that there are more people out there who have had experiences, but they just, you know, don't share them. And I'm sure a lot of those are not as extensive as what I've had since mine have continued to last throughout my lifetime. But I know that when I give talks, to groups about my story and some of the things that have happened. Once the talk is over and people have an opportunity to come up and chat or whatever, some of these people share will share with me an experience that they had. This one older gentleman said, you know, I woke up and it was, I knew that it was my wife. She was tugging at my arm. And she said a few things to him and then she left. And I knew the way he was telling me that he had never shared that with anyone else. And, you know, these are the kind of experiences that are the reason why I I like doing presentations and talking with people. Because they feel safe with me and know that I've been on the other side and that I will believe them. Yeah, it it validates their experience. Exactly. And uh, it's really important. That's such an important aspect to why I do what I do and why I ended up sharing my story, you know, through my book after all these years. It's, uh, as you say, validating for them that what they experience is true and if we all were so much more open to that i think that that everyone would see more signs around them some of the other experiences that i've had for example early on i would you know lie down to take a, a nap or something and i would feel someone sitting down on the edge of the bed and of course, my eyes would always fly open. Of course, there was, you know, nothing to see there. But, you know, those kind of really subtle things that come through are ways that people can pick pick up potentially on their loved ones being around. And of course, now, a lot of my experiences are a lot more overt than than just that. Uh, my husband and I one evening sitting in our TV room and there was a really tall bookcase in there and the shelves in that bookcase were quite deep. And on the top shelf, we kept uh, a number of our, back then the videotapes, you know, from home movie style deals. And so we were watching TV and all of a sudden from the very topmost shelf, this video comes flying out halfway across the room and lands right at our feet where we're sitting on the couch. And we both were looked at each other like, what just happened here? (laughs) And this was not a case of it being at the edge of the shelf and it just kind of fell down. No, it was nothing like that. And I realized that in that TV room, the summer that uh, donnie had stayed with us my husband and my brother they had gotten in that tv room they were messing around with the video camera and doing some crazy stuff in there just acting really crazy and videoing this stuff and you know it, we did it didn't occur to us to pick up the video and see what was it about we had a lot of videos from our vacations and things like that but i think it was just a reminder, especially, I think, to my husband, Um, hey, remember this time that we had. And, you know, other things that would happen consistently at the house, I would come home from work and in our dining room, which we didn't use our dining room all that much. We usually ate in the kitchen at the smaller table. But when, again, when Donnie had lived with us that summer, He and my husband uh, at that time, my husband had this crazy little electric football game. And in the evening, they'd get in there to the dining room. They'd each have a drink and they would start playing this crazy football game and screaming and hollering and all this stuff like they were kids or something. You know, and I would go to bed and I'd get up and I'd go in there and kind of yell at them like, ah, oh, we have to all go to work tomorrow. Come on. And, but my brother always sat in one particular chair and my husband sat in another one as they would play this each evening. So, what happened in relation to that is, of course, after uh, Donnie's death, I would come home from work and I would see in the dining room that this chair was pulled out. And at first I didn't think anything about it. You know, I just thought, okay, well, maybe he came in here and sat down and did something. But each week it was pulled out a couple of times a week, the same chair. And I began to realize man, that was the chair that Donnie used to fit in when they were playing this football game and that continued to happen until I mean we lived in that house a total of 10 years and we lived in the house like 6 more years after uh Donnie's passing and for that whole time you know the chair continued to be pulled out at various times these are the kinds of things that that happened uh, and so much more than that and the other the other thing that happened too is that I had after effects from having been out of my body. And these after effects are very much the same as someone who's had a near death experience, which at the time I didn't know any of that. In fact, one of the after effects I had was. I just became compelled to read everything I could get my hands on about spirituality. You have to remember, this was 1983. There wasn't any internet for me to go and look up things about what had happened to me. I just didn't know what had happened to me. I wasn't familiar with anything like that. And so I just began reading everything I could get my hands on. And I still do that, not as much as in the beginning, but as I say in my book, I've read hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of books through the years. (laughs) It's just a fact. And the odd thing about that is, too, an interesting point is I'm an English major. And when you're an English major, you read a lot of fiction, you know, come to know the authors. And of course you read some nonfiction, but a lot of it is focused on fiction. And, you know, and I, I'd always read fictional books growing up. And But after my experience, I have never read another piece of fiction. I've only read, you know, things related to spirituality, consciousness, and so forth. And it just was not of interest to me anymore. And for an English major to have that happen, that's really bizarre. <laughs> I mean, but it was just one of the after effects. And the other thing, too, that uh, would happen is, and still happens, is as I'm driving on freeways or even just walking down the street in the evening, you know, where you have street lights. Street lights or lights anywhere will will go out. I mean they'll come back on once I get past them, but I have that kind of impact on lights, and that's sort of a common after effect, but there's any number of things that you know've continued to happen through the years, and my brother he moves things in my personal office actually I even had some stuff happen at my office at one of the jobs I was at but to this day he moves pictures around you know I have a lot of my family photos framed and then these two bookcases that I have and from time to time sometimes he uses these pictures to convey things to me maybe that something is coming up Or sometimes it's just to let me know he's around, but he will turn down some of these photos and, you know, it's just a sign from him that he's around. And interestingly enough, within the last two months or so, always before anything he would move like that. I would just find it after it already had happened. You know, I'd come home from work and I'd see this picture down or whatever. And now, for the first time ever, I have been sitting in my office and he's actually moved things while I'm in there at the computer. I think he does it too because he had a great sense of humor he was a really funny guy. Everybody loved his personality. But I was not very long ago sitting at the computer in my office by myself, very quiet, deep, intently reading some things on the internet. And all of a sudden, one of the framed photos up against the back of the bookcase slid forward and actually, which was a framed grouping of pictures of my brother, and my sister and I. And then that knocked out a smaller picture of of the three of us together. And I'm deep in thought. And I mean, I probably jumped a foot out of my chair. (laughs) And, (sighs) And I was so shocked that this had happened while I was in there because that had never happened before. And then recently I had just last week or so I had another... Another incident like that, something on an easel that I had that was an invitation, flew out over a chair, landed on the other side of it. And I got up and I went over there and I said, I know you're in here, Donnie. Cut it out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know he's trying to scare me. So it continues somewhat to evolve.
1: Know from reading some of your press release and, mm-hmm. and some some things about you, you've done this work with Dr. Janice Holden. Yes, tell me about that because you said you know it, it provides evidence about your experience and and it being more than just a near death experience.
0: Yes, Dr. Holden is a fairly renowned uh, near death experience researcher. She's uh, at the University of North Texas, and she in ended up writing the afterword chapter for my book. And what she does is present information about these tests and after effects related. She brings into perspective how my experience was so much more like a near-death experience. And she actually had me take a test that has been developed through the years now. There's so much more that's been done in this realm but she had me take a test that essentially measures how deep of an NDE, a near-death experience, someone may have had. And I scored quite high on that, meaning it was more like a, a deeper NDE rather than, some, you know, an out-of-body experience. yeah. yeah. And so she does bring out in this chapter a lot of information related to the research and explaining why my experience is not just an out of body experience but rather is it's as though I had a near death experience without being near death. I think that anyone who reads the book will find that really interesting because it does provide some actual evidence of what's now been discovered after all these years. There's so, so many more people involved in the research related to those kinds of experiences. And there's just a lot more information, but what's interesting too about the fact that she wrote this chapter for me is I was trying to get in touch with Dr. Kenneth Ring, whose book I read in 1985, which was the first time I had ever run across anything, that he provided one experience in there that was like an out of body and was somewhat like mine, the experience that I had had versus the rest of the books all about near-death experience. So I was trying, hoping to get in touch with him. She is a past president of IANS, and is a professor, obviously. And I just, in looking at who I might be able to contact about... Getting in touch with Dr. Ring, I thought, okay, she's a professor. I'll give her a call. But I didn't expect her to answer because professors are never in their office. Right, right. But surprisingly, enough, she did answer and I explained to her why I was calling, she and I ended up talking an hour and a half and she was so interested in my experience. And she offered, I mean, she didn't know me at all, but she offered at that point to write this chapter and of course, since then, you know, I've met her and everything, but it was, I think, just meant to be, I think I was guided to call her yeah, because it was meant to be that this information and this evidence would be brought to bear in this book I was going to write.
1: One of the things that, that you talked about too in this work, I think with Dr. Janice Holden is this meld into spirit technique.
0: Was that with her or is that separate? That is separate, but I'm glad that you uh, brought that up because the meld into spirit technique I, I share in the book is to help people be able to, in a more conscious way, in daily living, be able to become closer and connect with spirit in a more meaningful way. As I say in, in the book, you know, meditation's great to do. You you go aside and you sit and meditate. But I found that when I'm out walking in a park or bike riding um, that or just anywhere out in nature, that I like to just let everything go in terms of what I'm seeing, and just connect at a deeper level of consciousness with the feeling of spirit and that oneness, recapturing that sense that I had in my experience of that oneness of everything. And so I called it the meld into spirit technique or mist. and. I describe a little bit about that, how to, to make that connection. But now I'm actually developing, I'm working on a workshop about that to further develop the idea and help people understand how they can reach that state wherever they are. Without necessarily having to go aside and and just sit and do meditation. Now, it's not something I'd recommend to do while you're driving yes. or operating machinery. But I'm a person who I like to spend a lot of time outdoors, and it's uh, it's a great place to be able to do that. But again, you could do it anywhere. It's just a question of of getting used to the process of how you can reach that point. And it's, it's such a wonderful feeling because as you start into that process of just kind of seeing everything blurring together and, uh, starting, you know, with people and thinking about people just blurring into each other and, and then into the earth and then out into the universe and the light coming in and then reaching that space where your, your heart chakra Is how you connect to this. And so your heart chakra becomes quite warm because it comes through the love connecting with spirit. And when you reach that state, judgment drops away and you're just so at peace. And you can do this while you're out walking around or wherever you are. And that oneness. As you do this more and more, it will become easier and more natural. And by connecting with the consciousness of spirit in that way, then that connection helps with our everyday living and the things that we want to bring into our lives or accomplish with that energy, connecting with that energy, things will happen more easily for us. And so, Again, this is a workshop I feel will be very important to helping people just in their daily life, and something easy and yet very meaningful.: It sounds like tapping into that flow.
1: It so in, instead of you know, resistance, or I think sometimes when we just try to push our will, I know in, in my own experience, that's been one of the most beautiful moments when I just kind of put my hands out and just say, "I surrender."
0: Exactly. You know,
1: and allow that flow to come through.
0: Yes. And by making that conscious connection, in fact, I term this what I call conscientious consciousness. Because conscientious means being diligent about doing something or remembering to do it. And the consciousness, you know, is our our state of being who we are. And if you remember to do that each day in any place, then that you're exactly right. It, it opens the flow. Again, you drop, you drop judgment, you drop the feeling of, you know, it's me against them or, you know, all of those things just kind of go away and you're just open and you're feeling that flow and that oneness and there's nothing like that feeling nothing comes close as achieving that sense of oneness with everything i wonder to
1: me when i think about this i think about how that would change our world if more people could do this i think that that's so much a mission right now for so many people that people might term light workers or or people that are really even, you know, scientists, quantum physicists, people who are really trying to expand the consciousness on the planet right now.
0: Yes, that is so true. There's so much more happening in that realm. And it's, it's just by doing this reaching out and connecting with this higher consciousness in a more conscious kind of way, Yeah, where it's just built in as you're out somewhere. It will more, the the goal is to train yourself to reach a state where it becomes so much more natural to more easily connect with that state of consciousness because that is what helps all of us. And the more that we can make that connection, the easier it will become. We'll be training ourselves to in a more natural way, become a part of that wherever we are.
1: So we're actually
0: living it. Yes.
1: Instead of, you know, it's, it's like a practice that then becomes us. It becomes just a part of the way that we're experiencing life. I mean, we're, we're, we're more in touch with that flow of life and greater life, if you will.
0: That is the goal of being able to train people in how to do that so that it does become more natural and you don't have to think of these different steps or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually had a short, like a little over a minute video, video clip made that will help people actually see and help them envision the process. And so that will, you know, that will be part of the workshop that I ultimately get pulled together but i'm excited about that because i've had good feedback from several people who read about that in in my book and they were like wow this is such a great idea they just love the idea of being able to do something like that in a more conscious way and wherever they are so when i started getting feedback about that, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this.
1: (laughs) Truly, Paula, what what a gift for people to learn how to access this. So that, I mean, it's helping them to live that kind of life that, like you said, I mean, where it's not so burdensome, where things don't feel, we don't get so caught up in the minute details of what's happening or what's in our circumstances at this moment, that it's so much bigger than that.
0: Yes. And, you know, people have a tendency to, especially if you're going to church regularly or whatever, you know, they have a tendency to say, okay, well, here's the church stuff over here and here's my life over here. And the idea is to bring that whole aspect together in a more natural way, I will say. And that I think is, and can be more meaningful just to everyday living being in this human form. <laughs> yes.
1: So as as we're getting ready to wrap up, what do you feel like Paula is the essential message that you want the listeners to receive?
0: Well, a couple of things. First of all, those who pass on can still be around us and they do visit us. But what it requires on your part is to recognize that that can and does happen and to become more conscious of signs that you might see around you and i think that's really important for people to to understand that message and it's nothing to be afraid of you know they they're just sharing love for you by being around you now that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be doing things throughout your entire lifetime my brother and i were very close and we spent our childhood together you know my sister being so much younger didn't have i didn't have that same background but they do i do believe that when people cross over they do try to let us know that they're okay but so much of the time we don't either people don't believe in that or they don't look for it or they or they're just not conscious that some of these things are happening around you and I think that's a really important message, but the other the other thing too is that with this meld into spirit technique, you can become part of that sense of the oneness that not only those who have crossed over are part of, but that we also can be part of, and that enhances our life and the really we people who are experiencing that we help enhance other people's ability to connect with that oneness. And people tend to believe more of just well we're here for this life and then you know we we move on and that we're all separate. But the message I experienced is that no matter what, I mean being right here, we are all part of the oneness. It's in everyone no matter what that person does. There's no separation.
1: There are so many important things that Paula shared through this interview. I think it was amazing recalling that she knew the moment of her brother's death and that that took her into this place where she was able to see 360 all around her and to actually enter that place of oneness where everything is light and everything is love. Now, even if we haven't had those kind of experiences, most of us have had those moments that we may call peak experiences when the rest of the world melts away, all judgment, all worries disappear and we're able to access that sense of oneness and love. I loved that she talked about that exact thing, that melding into oneness, where we're feeling connected to all people, animals, the earth, and the universe, and feeling connected to spirit. And so how important this is, is we can practice dropping into this place. She talked about an access point being in nature where we can drop in and lose judgment and develop this heart of compassion. And as we practice this, it develops connections that help with our everyday lives and helps bring into our lives, the things that we want the most. Whether you've had an experience like this or not, I think that Paula's story helps to lend comfort when we've lost someone to think that that's not the end that the connection continues and can continue. And she believes that it really is eternal, that that divine spark within us continues. And so we're able to be in connection with those that we love throughout eternity. There is comfort in thinking that we are never truly alone. And that even if loved ones have left us on this plane, We're able to connect with them within our hearts always. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NoCo Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.